Welcome back, everybody, to Table Talks with Tommy. I'm your host, Tommy, and it this is episode three, 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 three. That's my echo. Um, welcome to episode three of Table Talks with Tommy. Um, today we're getting back to the the flow of things with No Matter the Wreckage, a book of poems by Sarah Kay, one of my favorite poets all time. Um, and we're going to be diving right into section two, right? So the thing about section two is, and um, it's probably going to be indicative of like the length of this episode. Section two is short. There's only like five poems in it, but like all of the poems are pretty long, right? Whereas in contrast, section one, it had um, a mixture of like long and short poems. Section two is majority long ones, and they kind of all tell a, a bit of a story in of, in of themselves, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's get started. Uh, diving into the first poem of section two, uh, titled Montauk, and that's spelled M-O-N-T-A-U-K, Montauk. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. If I'm not, I'm so sorry, Sarah Kay. Please don't come after me. Um, but yeah, so reading this poem, well, I've read it probably like 10 times, um, reading it for the 11th time maybe 12 i don't know um same the same words come to my come to my mind and it's safe haven and freedom right so she starts off the poem with the line i am a city girl to my core right and we know this um if we go back to section one and she talks about the subway the oak tree speaks um and then she has another poem. What is it? New York, June 2009. Right. So obviously, obviously, she's a city girl, obviously, like New York, born and raised. Um, and with her leading a poem titled Montauk with I am a city girl to my core, you think like, OK, so this is going to be about her being a city girl when in reality it's about the opposite. So it's it's like a beginning line in contrast to the rest of the poem, which I think is very neat because um, it just brings that much more attention to to this, right? Because it's an established fact right now. It's like city girl. Okay, most of the stuff she would have to be doing is related to the city. But now, boom, Montauk, here's this poem about not being in the city, right? And everything that goes with it. And everything that does go with it is great. Um, it writes, it, it's, it's formatted, not like, you think a poem would at least poems nowadays because um shout out uh like the poets of today because their formats are a little different um the format for montauk is almost like an essay i'd say because the 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 stanzas are like big chunks you know what i'm saying they're like big chunks of text almost like um paragraphs but they're not paragraphs because there's not a bunch of sentences it, they're like um they're almost like breaths right so you read one stanza take a breath here goes the next one take a breath and then so on and so forth right um and i think that kind of encaptures the whole feeling of montauk um that she's trying to in place within the poem it's like it's a breath it's a break um right because she like she says she explains it in the second stanza right Every summer we migrated to Montauk, Long Island. 
Um, and she tells you why it's like important. Father only got two weeks off from work. Right. So this is super important. And I know we all have those things like that. If you if you have working parents, and you know, like the days they get off and the days that they get to spend with you are days that you cherish. Right. So Montauk, it seems like is a place that she cherishes. Why? Because it's a time that she gets to spend with her family. It's important. Right. Um, she tells us in the third stanza, like this is where I learned to swim. Like I'm quoting the text again. This is where I learned to swim, where I heard. Um, a bad word for the first time. Learn to ride a bike, swerving around puddles on rainy afternoons, right? This is where I learned to drive a car in the hardware store parking lot. Very regular, very regular. But I love that about her poems. They're also like, um, pull. they pull these regular facets of our life and romanticize them. That's what she does. She she pulls these regular facets of our lives and romanticizes them because there is romance. There is passion. There is inspiration. There is like a bunch of good things to be found in the everyday, right? Swerving around puddles on rainy afternoon. Everyone, most people would be like, what a nuisance. But here in this poem, it's like a... Um, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, it's like a marker, like a timeline marker of her life. Like, this is where I learned to do that. Um, and it's great. Um, she even says fourth stanza, uh, time goes to Mon- time goes to Montauk to take a break. Right. And that's awesome. So not only do we have this personification of time, which happens a lot, people do it a lot, um, like personify time and love and hate and just, uh, different things like that. The incorporeal, I hope I pronounced that right. Um, but yeah, she says it goes to Montauk to take a break, but she doesn't stop there. And this is this is, this is my favorite bar of the entire poem. After that, she says it loosens its belt, takes a seat on the front porch next to my father and his Weber grill. So not only are we getting this um, description of Montauk, this this feeling of Montauk, but we're also getting this like um, image of her father next to this grill. Right. And the W in Weber is capitalized. So it means it's probably a specific type of grill. And you could always just Google it like Weber grill and you'll see. Right. And then we'll have a complete image in our head. Um, and she she goes on through the rest of that stanza, just um, further personifying time and building up this image. Right. Almost as if time accompanied her to Montauk. You know what I'm saying? As if time was a guest on this family vacation. And I think it's awesome. Um, and then the next stanza, the one that ends the page, time stalls in Montauk, right? So it more than just takes a break, it stalls, right? Like it just, it just stops outright, just stalls. And I think that's awesome because I know I have, I have places like that, places that I go to take a break, to like take a breath. You know what I'm saying? Where, where, where I go and time just seems to, you know what I'm saying? Um, so it's awesome, especially that she um, describes this place like that. And and it's not like it's not like it's about the landmarks. Right. It, it, it's, it's not like it's about um, what Montauk looks like. It's more about what Montauk like made her feel. It's more about um, who was all there. Um, and what she did and the play and the role it played in her life. How about that? It's, all, it's about the role Montauk played in her life. Um, she describes herself and her brother and her family and like 
ages them up throughout the poem, right? In the beginning, she's like three, um, middle 12. She says she's also 16, right? She ate, like drops these facts of this, of these ages to show you like Montauk has been consistent, like is a consistent thing. Um, and then she ends it with like, I'm 22. The landmarks are the same, the same stretch of beach, some hardware store parking lot. Some of the names have changed. The pool hasn't. I make my way to the shallow end and wait in slow. In Montauk, I can take my time. So it's 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 a vacation spot. And, you know, with vacations, like it's it's a break. It's a pause. It's a it's a respite um, from the from the goings of your life. And I love um, that she wrote a poem about that because it's something that it's something that people cherish. You know what I'm saying? Those those places where they can be at peace. And when you share something, you don't realize you don't like sharing it. You only share it with the people closest to you or people that know about it, too. So for her to write a poem about this very like like cherished spot of hers, I think is very touching. It's very, um, you know, I respect it and I like it a lot. Um, and it's just I don't know. The, the feeling I get from Montauk is all warm and, and nice. And it's it's just, it's just a very uh, heartwarming uh, poem. Right. Throwing it back to the title, like it's no matter the wreckage, right? Like it's you would think like ah pain, suffering, agony, angst, but no, Montauk is like, yeah. Here, read about this nice place that I visit every summer, you know, <laughs> um, and the things that I've learned, right? It feels like a coming of age kind of um, kind of poem, right? And I wrote, I wrote, I wrote inside the book, by the way, because I like doing that. And if you don't like doing that to your books, I think you might be a better person than me. But I wrote like when you look back and like wonder who or like or like where you learned some of your first things. Right. Because as I was reading this, I, I thought about I thought about it myself. I'm like, like where, where where did I learn this or when did I learn that? Right. I, I have some places that I can look back and be like, yeah, this is where I learned to to like appreciate the stars or where I learn to like make a wish or something like that. Like, like, like she details in the poem, right? It's, 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 um, it's like an homage to the little things about yourself that you've learned and where you've learned them is what Montauk is kind of what it's about, right? The changing of time and the, and you're growing and learning and in a place that's like sacred to you. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, moving on to the next one. The next poem in the book is titled My Parents on Their Way Home from a Wedding. And it's this and it's this cute. It's this. Oh, oh my goodness. It's this just smile inducing just scene of her on the phone with her parents on their way home from a wedding. Right. And it's and it's awesome. It starts. It starts off. Right. We know we know she's on the phone because it starts off like when they pick up the phone, they meaning her parents. Right. All I can hear is Simon and Garfunkel blaring in the background. Right. She goes on to describe some awesome stuff. Right. Some super amazing. Oh, my goodness. I Look, awesome. Her pen. Crazy. I'm telling you, dude. Sarah K. Killing it. She says, then my father's barrel Base chocolate growl, my mother's piccolo breath. They're laughing through the speakerphone, telling me about the ceremony, how lovely it was. What a what a way to describe your parents' voices. 
barrel-based chocolate growl and piccolo breath. I I don't have an exact idea of what she means when she says this, but I have somewhat an idea, somewhat of an idea, and I can kind of fill in the blanks like as I as I go, right? Like father's barrel bass, like barrel bass, like, you know, a barrel, like, you know, barrel chested, something wide, something deep, right? Bass, bass filled. You know what a bass filled thing is like. It's deep. It's, you know, chocolate growl. But when you say growl, it's like it's not when people growl with the way that they speak, they don't like they don't use their entire mouth. It's more of like a I can't even do it, you know, but it's more like a smaller thing, a growl. And growls don't don't always have to be like bad things. My dad sometimes like growls. It's almost like a murmur. Um, but it's 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 like deeper, like a growl. You know what I'm saying? And piccolo breath, a piccolo is a wind instrument, I think. So I can think it's it's something airy, it's something light, right? Like I'm activating all this prior knowledge um, to 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 fill in the blanks to these um, metaphors. Um, but I think they're awesome. The language is amazing. Barrel-based chocolate growl, piccolo breath. Awesome. Those are bars. Um, the next stanza, she's like, there are trees sliding into one another faster than they have time to count. And you know when you're driving really fast and every and the land just kind of blurs together. She could have easily just said, like, the landscape blurring as they're going so fast, right? To indicate how fast they're going. But she's like, no, the, the trees are sliding into one another. That's how fast they're going. Um, and she includes like little um, in italics, like little things that they said. She don't put them in, she doesn't put them in quotes, right? She puts them in italics, which I think is a very interesting choice um, about the, about like some of the stuff that they say, like so many flowers, they say, what a beautiful dress, right? So you can hear these, so you can like kind of place these uh, the snippets of their conversation in your head as you're reading through the poem, right? To make you feel like you're on the phone with these two with her parents, and I think that's amazing. Um, she says, like I was tell I was calling to tell them about something sour, something less blossom and more thorn, but I inhale, swallow it, it can wait. I think that is amazing because that kind of encaptures um, some like a lot a lot of stuff I do all the time. Right. When you when you when you see someone is in is in a great mood or in a good mood, people that you don't normally see that way, you kind of want them to savor it. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to ruin that by bringing up like bad news or something that went wrong. Right. You hear them chatting and having the time of their life like on the phone like giggling and like you know she says like they're laughing through the speakerphone they're laughing and they're driving on a highway they have not been on before right you hear that and you're like yeah my 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 stuff can wait it can wait um which is what she says um another thing that just uh it what another thing i think is awesome she says they forget that i'm on the line that is great. Why? Because I've I've been on the phone with people all the time and they forget you're on the phone. And I like when they forget that I'm on the phone sometimes because, you know, sometimes it's like them having an enjoyment or sometimes it's them like ha- having to talk to somebody else. Either way, it's like, I don't know. 
observing, I don't know, something about like observing people, observing people's life or something when they forgot, when they forget you there, it feels like a very special kind of, a very special kind of thing. Um, but yeah, they, um, the entire poem is just this very beautiful thing about her parents and like this relationship that they have and how cheerful they are over the phone after this wedding. And, um, I think it's great. It's a very beautiful, not, well, not beautiful, but I think it well beautiful in a, in a sense of things. Um, it's a beautiful poem about her parents. Um, it's a moment of pure joy, right? It's something that you just don't want to ruin and you want to capture it like forever, which is what she did with this poem in a very excellent way. Right. Cause how do you capture a phone call, a fleeting phone call at that, right? They didn't, she didn't probably didn't even spend that much time. Just, she was just on the phone while, while her parents were doing whatever they had to do. And she captured it in a poem instead of like a voice recording or in a picture. She captured it in a poem with her own words that I feel like does, does it credit. Um, right. And it's, it's, and it's hard, especially at least in my opinion with when, with, with your parents to find moments where they're just like, when they're not parents, you know what I'm saying? Find moments when they're not mom and dad. Instead, they're two people enjoying each other, just having a good time. Like, like, like when you would have a great time with your friends, just a moment of pure unshed joy, you know, but awesome, awesome poem. The next one, um, the next poem is titled Silts. I keep, I swear, mm, it's called Slivers. That was me being frustrated at my inability to pronounce things. Um, and this is, this is very, this is, this is a poem about friendship, right? It's called Slivers. Um, and it's a poem about friendship, but it's about two friends that get matching splinters in their feet. And I think that's so awesome because it's one of those things, Right. If you if you have a best friend or had a best friend or are growing a best friend, um, either one of those things, you have shared experiences that set them apart from everyone else. Because I and I think that's what makes a best friend a best friend. Right. You you have these moments and scenes of your life that you shared with them and they've. And, and, and they've just become these like big defining moments of your friendship, right? Back in, um, back when I was in high school a long time ago, I had, I had really close friends and we had moments like these all of the time, right? They're like the most inside of inside jokes. You know what I'm saying? It's something you could only joke about with your friend and only they would ever know what you're talking about. And that's a very special feeling. Um, and this, this poem kind of captures it uh, very, very well. Right. Like she talks about the beach and uh, the beach that they were on when they got their um, the the splinters in their feet. And it's awesome. You know, her her description and her imagery has always been amazing. Um, Sarah Kay is just absolutely killing it. Um, right. She says mothers found the tweezers in the first aid kit, took turns alternating between holding ice cubes, wrestling or wriggling and digging out the culprits. Right. We call these splinters culprits. They're they're culprits to be picked out of our feet. That's so awesome. Um, but the, the two stanzas that stand out to me in this poem are the ones towards the bottom of the first page um, where she says, I don't think I actually remember this day. 
I don't think the scene in my head is real. It must instead be the retelling of the story that I have memorized and rehearsed that my mind has filled in the gaps. And I think this is absolutely amazing because it's not something I've ever heard someone say. It's it's something I've never heard somebody like try to detail or explain or anything like that. But it's been something that's been on my brain for a long time. When you think about like very old memories when you were younger. Um, and it's like, did I really? Is that how it actually happened? You know what I'm saying? Like, do I remember the events like second for second? Or do I just remember this? Or do I just remember the meaning, like the feeling of it and some general outline, some general frame, you know? So for her to admit, like, I don't think I actually remember this day when speaking about like her best friend is is crazy, right? Because there's, there's almost like this expectation when it comes to like best friends and friendships where you're supposed to remember every little thing about every little person. But I don't think that's true because I don't think brains work that way. I think what is important is you remember how they made you feel. And this is what Slivers is about, right? It's about how it made her feel in this shared moment with this person. And she says, and, and she she says this, she's like, after after that, she says, and yet it would explain why 21 years later, we can feel the phantom hurt inside each other, how our pains align themselves in symmetry or in complement like mirror selves. That's great. That's greatness. I don't care what anyone says. That, that's amazing. Because um, it kind of encaptures what like best friends are. How our pains align themselves in symmetry? Bro, you telling me? I've had it in times where it's just like, um, I'm so connected with somebody, so connected with a friend or so on and so forth. And our, our feelings can align. There's symmetry there, right? In compliment, mirror selves. And who are friends if not compliments to you? You know what I'm saying? Um, she says, she and she circles back to like the whole slivers thing and catching splinters and like the pain and, share, and shared pain with somebody, right? Because who else do you share your pain with besides your friends and family, right? And she says, how when the phone rings, your voice on the other end allows me to release my wail, reach out to squeeze your hand. We dig the slivers from ourselves as best we can. When the hurt remains, you, dearest friend, will recognize my limp. Right. And I love that. She she continues to say, like, let me just finish the poem because it's awesome. You'll whimper with me fully. You will return with me to the hot sand, to the menacing goals, to the water sweeping us into new and better days. And I think this this such a such a beautiful ending to a poem about friendship, because um, like the shared experiences, the shared pain, the ability to recognize when your friend is in pain is a big one, too, because. Um, when you get so in tune with somebody, spend so much time with them, you are able to recognize those kinds of things. Well, let me not say that like it's a hundred percent guarantee. You normally do if you care enough about somebody, you you'll notice those kinds of things. Um, and it's awesome to just see it to just see it like written about in such a way, right? She says we dig the slivers from ourselves as best we can, which is just like another play on the fact that like you know pain, hurt, trauma, those kinds of things. They don't like go away a hundred percent. We just we we dig the slivers from ourselves as best we can. 
We just, we just do the best we can, right? And when the hurt remains, right? It's not if the hurt remains or, or like possibly. It's when. When the hurt remains. You, dearest friend, will recognize my limp, right? And I think that's beautiful because sometimes we like to go out into the world and cover up our aches and our pains and our and our hurts and our limps, right? But when it comes to comes to really close friends and really close family, there's no there's no hiding it from them. They'll be able to recognize it the minute they lay their eyes on you for real. Like, you know, are you good? You feeling okay? You look a little down. You need to talk about it? Are you like you know what I'm saying? You don't even gotta say anything. And, you know, that's why you call them their dearest friend, right? And I, I love friendship poems. There needs to be more friendship poems, by the way. But um, I think as a case, as, as a like a, a case with most artists and creatives, um, most of their content comes from like pain and and when they're alone. So like that's not on their mind when it comes to like writing stuff like this. But more stuff should be written about friendship. I'm always gonna root for a good friendship. Um, but yeah, this this poem is so beautiful i keep saying that but that's what that's just how i feel about most of her poems so it's not a new observation (laughs) but what is new is this next poem it's titled brother and you know it's about her brother um and it starts off let me just start it off it starts off you jaywalked your way out of the womb what a lie what a line to start Listen, you jaywalked your way out of the womb. You know how much characterization is in that one line? Jay, to to describe this 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 process of his birth as jaywalking. You know what it takes to jaywalk? Like, you know, you know, like, you know, you've ever jaywalked, you know, go against the grain. You go against because you're not supposed to be jaywalking. Right. You jaywalked your way out of the room. And it kind of just sets the tone for the rest of um for the rest of the poem. She says, after that, she says, I would recognize you anywhere by the hiccup in your swagger. Tell me, where in the world did you find all that thunder? You know what I'm saying? And just sets the point for this way that she describes her brother is, and it's so amazing. Um, it's, it's like, she says, your compass always points north, but it's a bit of a crapshoot as to whether or not you'll ever walk in that direction. Right on the merry-go-round of your life, the carousel ponies are all narwhals. Their horns point straight up. The day you build a constellation, it will be the entire F train spread across the Milky Way. <sighs> come on, come on, man! Are you tell are you you telling me like this is the way you've chosen to describe your brother? Right? What um? What a I don't want to say abstract, but like, what a way to describe your brother in ways that I totally understand, too. Without without entirely understanding, I get it. You know what I'm saying? She's like, she says, she says, you can solve a Law and Order episode before the first commercial break. What a detail to include about your brother. And that's a lovely detail, too, because it's, it's more than just a birthday. It's more than just a general attitude. It's more than just a very significant event in, 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 in his life or in their lives. It's you can solve a Law and Order episode before the first commercial break. That's a detail you only notice about people that you love, like straight up. Um, and there's so much love in this poem. Um, 
even the anecdote about like when he came into the kitchen talking about the names, um, she says like, you are my favorite stick of dynamite. You're the opposite of a rubber band, which I don't know. I don't, I don't know what that means. I can only guess what that means. Um, and then these lines, she says, there are so many things I would tell you if I thought that you would listen and so many more you would tell me if you believed I would understand. Um, I feel like that kind of encaptures siblings in a nutshell because all because we share blood and shared experiences and like, you know, I love you. You love me. We're brother. We're sister. We're like, you know, we're related. Um, there's so many things I would tell you if, if I thought you would listen. There's so many things I tell my siblings if I thought they would listen, but I know they won't. And it's not like it's not a knock against them. The stuff that I I care about and I talk about is sometimes they just don't really care enough to listen. And that's totally fine. I think that's totally okay, right? And she says, like, so many more you would tell me if you believed I would understand. There are some things that my my siblings get up to I would never hope to understand. You know what I'm saying? It's their life. They live it, and they find friends to share it with who do understand. And I don't think that kind of takes away from the fact, you know, I don't think that takes away from, from us, like, our relationship either, you know? And the line, um, the, the last stanza in the poem, she ends it, uh, she begins it, sorry, she, she begins it, I hope you know that you were never meant to wear my shadow as an older sibling. And if there are any older siblings out there, I feel like that line resonates with you like it did with me, right? I hope you know that you were never meant to wear my shadow. Even if you, even if you weren't the older sibling, if you were, if you were even marginally like, like like quicker to success let's say that if you were quicker to success than your other siblings um right this this line would resonate with you i hope you know that you were never meant to wear my shadow excellent excellent line that's a bar um what a way to describe a real life human being i didn't get any i didn't get i didn't get a single physical characteristic I didn't get a single physical, I didn't, single, <laughs> I didn't get a single physical description about her brother, but I feel like I know him from the way that she described him, right? From the little things to the bigger things, it's just like, she gave me this picture of a person without, how, what am I trying to say? She like gave me this picture of a person and colored him in, colored him in with words. That's what she did. And I think it's amazing because I would have never I would have never thought that was possible. Uh, and then the next poem and the last one is section two. Right. See, look, I told you it was short. Um, it's titled Hands. You Catch these hands. Um, <laughs> sorry. It's titled Hands. And like, wow, how refreshing of a title. You know what I'm saying? We get we get a bunch of really crazy titles in this. We got hands. We got brother. We got slivers. We got. My parents on their way home from a wedding. And then Montauk, right? It's, um, <laughs> I like these titles. Because um, they kind of just tell you the topic of the poem. They don't tell you what the poem's going to be about. Uh, and I think that's beautiful. Don't spoil it. You know what I'm saying? Titles, the title of the poems, movies, whatever, they should not spoil what I'm going to be reading. You know what I'm saying? They should not, be, they should not spoil what I'm going to be watching. They should only give me a hint as to what it's going to be about, right? Like Game of Thrones, um, 
whatever you might say about the last season, and I have a lot to say about that, the title Game of Thrones is an excellent title because that's what the entire show is about. This Game of Thrones. It doesn't spoil anything because there's some crazy stuff that happens in that show. But that's what it all revolves around. And I think that's the whole point of titles. Don't spoil things. Just kind of hint at it. Allude to it. And I think that's what makes a good title. Um, so the title, the poem Hands, is uh, it's about hands. Um, but not in the way you think, right? And she, she kind of um, subverts, there's the word. I was looking for the word, the last, um, the first episode for expectation, subverting expectations. There it goes. I told you I knew it. So she starts off the poem with saying, people used to tell me that I had beautiful hands. Right. And from there, you're like, man, what am I about to do Hear about her? Talk about her pretty little hands. What do I care? Right. It's a poem about hands. Some people think hands are weird, um, like the same way they think feet are weird. So it's like you already probably losing a bunch of people beautiful hands what a what a way to describe a pair of hands right and then she she asked her dad like could i be a hand model dad's like no way because in the way that dads do you know what i'm saying um but she kind of goes along the she kind of goes along with it she says i would have been upset but there were far too many crayons to grab too many stuffed animals to hold too many ponytails to tie too many homework assignments to write, too many boys to wave at, too many years to grow, right? So she's kind of telling you that she, she's um, she's making hands this, like, active player in this poem. You know what I'm saying? They're not, it's, it's not some casual observance of hands and what they look like. It's like an active um, participation of hands and what they do and what they've done, right, and what they mean. She says, like, she's, like, used to hold hands with her dad all the time, right? And she says, um, she says, she says, hands learn more than minds do. What a line, right? What a claim. Back it up. And she backs it up. She says, hands learn how to hold other hands. That's true. How to grip pencils and mold, mold poetry. How to memorize computer keys and telephone buttons in the dark. That's true, too, right? She, she continues on, right? this this like this 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 thing about hands and how how they how they know how to learn how they know how to learn what you know what i'm trying to say how to tickle pianos and grip bicycle handles right how to dribble a basketball and how to peel apart pages what alliteration too by the way of sunday comics that always seem to stick together they learn how to touch old people and how to hold babies right So that's two stanzas, two stanzas worth of the knowledge hands can can uh, accumulate. I feel like that's not the word I was looking for, but I can't think of the other one. Um, And she says, she says, I love hands like I love people. There, there are the maps and compasses with which we navigate our way through life. And that's true. Right. More than just um, the net, the sense of touch. Right. It's more than that. Right. We 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 use our hands to help navigate through life. It's it's the way we we pick things up. It's the way we we break things. Sometimes it's the way we hold things. We cradle things. We caress things. But it's it's also the way like we hurt things like hands are. She opened my eyes about about hands. Um, 
right? She she even says some people read palms to tell your future, right? Look at this is like a treatise on 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 hands and like like all that they can be, right? Because they're more than just these appendages, right? They're more than just the ends of our wrists, you know. Um, she says, "Ooh, this one, this is a bar. This this is my bar for the poem, by the way." She says, "And fingers." Right. Because if, we, if we're talking about hands, we got to talk about fingers like <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. But you know what I'm saying? Fingers interlocked like a beautiful accordion of flesh or a zipper of prayer. Listen to that. Let me let me say it again. Fingers interlocked like a beautiful accordion of flesh or a zipper of prayer. If you know what accordion is, it's that little piano squeezy thing that goes like hee haw. You know what I'm saying? Um, that kind of thing and, or a zipper of prayer, a zipper of prayer, you know, when you put your hands together and it's, and they're like interlocked, she could have, she, she says that, right? She says one time I grabbed my dad's hands so that our fingers interlocked perfectly, right? She could have just said that and like ended it there, but she says like, it's a zipper of prayer. What a, what a comparison. What a, what, um, what a thing to create. Right. A zipper of prayer. I've never heard that before. Right. She says, like, kids, high five sounds of hand to hand combat instead mark camaraderie and teamwork. Now, grown up, we learn to shake hands. Right. And it um, she ends it. She ends the poem like um, and before the she she ends the poem, throwing it back to when her when she asked her dad if she could be a hand model. Right. And he says, like, you got nice hands. You could have been a hand model. Like, ha, ha, ha. You know, the way that dads like to joke. And she says, before the laughter can escape me, I shake my head at him and squeeze his hand. 8,002,754. And that number goes back to the, like, the middle of the poem when she's, like, um, when she's talking about her and her dad. And she kept count of how many times they held hands. And they just made up some really big imaginary number, right? And so that that that's um, a callback and that's a great technique to um, to use in poems, especially one that's so chocked full of um, all this imagery and stuff like that to just, you know, it's 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 like the final emotional punch to the chest. Right. And it's great. It's amazing. This poem is so it's chocked full of very great images, um, the beautiful accordion of flesh or a zipper of prayer, but it's also filled with like a very great amount of personal emotion, right? This relationship with her, with her dad, because that's how it starts, right? It starts with like, Hey dad, could I be a hand model? And then it ends with, you could have been a hand model, right? So it's this, it's this, um, it's kind of like telling of this relationship with her father, but also at the same time telling of these beautiful realizations she's had about hands and, and what they do and what they mean and you know putting more more meaning behind these behind these things that i think people sometimes take for granted because imagine if you didn't have any hands imagine that right now look at look at your hands look at yourself suddenly bam you ain't got no hands i bet i, I bet you'd be appreciative of the uh, appreciative of them then look man look hands um great poem amazing and that that's it for um, section two, by the way. Um, like I said, it was only five poems. They were all pretty long. Um, 
If you wanted me to read through all of them, it probably would have took longer, but I'm not going to do that because nobody probably wants me to read through all these poems because what am I doing? If you want to hear somebody read through these poems, just go watch um, Sarah Kay perform one of them or two of them, three of them, five of them, all of them is what I'd say. Um, but yeah, that's it for section two of No Matter the Wreckage. Um, and that's it for episode three. Uh, next episode, or maybe the one after that, we'll see. We're going to dive into section three, which is a little bit longer with a few more poems. Um, I'm looking ahead right now because I got the book with me. Ha ha ha. You heard that? So next episode or episode after, we're going to go into section three, um, analyze those poems. But for now, uh, I'm wrapping up this episode. That was great. Thank you all for listening in. Um, on my section two dive into um, No Matter the Wreckage, uh, Book of Poems by Sarah Kay. If you want to go pick up the book, it's on Amazon. It's probably on a bunch of other uh, bookstores, websites, because it's been out a long time. It's not more than 20 bucks, which I love, by the way. Um, I think it only comes in this like soft hardcover. I say soft hardcover because it's like it's kind of a hardcover with like the, the way that it's spine is, but it's also like soft as in like you can flick through it. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, no matter the records, section two, poems by Sarah Kay, over and done with. Hope everyone has a very good uh, rest of the week and stay safe, have fun, hydrate, especially if you're in a place where it's super freaking hot like I am. And I will see you all on the next episode.